mute that. There we go. All right. Well, hey, um, it's good to see you all this morning. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at the Vineyard. And I say that every week just in case there's new people. So a lot of you know me. But if you're like, why does he already start off with that? Just because, you know, we hope new people are coming, right? We hope more people are coming to the kingdom. We're so glad for the people that we have that call this church home. But we also want to see more people. And it's not uh, to scratch our egos or whatever like that or to boost them. But it's really it's to, because there's lots of people. Everyone needs to know Jesus. And so, um, yeah, so we're so glad you're joining us online in person. If you're here for the first time, if you're here for a long time, we're very glad that you've joined us today. So today, um, we're in a series called Stop for the One. Stop for the One is about living the available life. And um, what we want to hone in on during this series is just, like when people think of the word evangelism, I think sometimes it's kind of a dirty word. For some people, it feels like high-pressure sales. It feels like quotas, like maybe uh, like a Jehovah's Witness come into your porch, you know, uh, with like the inverted chest, like from getting get off my porch so many times. Um, we we think all these things, or we think that like you know we have to. Um, it's like we gotta close the deal with people. And I think to Jesus, living on mission is so much different than just um, a scheme or a schedule or else an event. Now, going down to feed people is great. Having outreach events next week is great. But this is a thing is like, we want everything that we're talking about here, we don't want, um, like the hope is that they're not events, that discipleship's not an event, worship's not an event. Living on mission that it's living on mission, not just going to do mission. That these things are not event-focused. Those can happen, but these become part of who we are just as people. And, and as, we're, as, we're, as we're going in this series, I want you to... St- these are basically, we're trying to um, give ideas and possibilities and thoughts for ways you can reach out to people that you rub elbows with in your everyday life. That's what this is about. So stopping for the one is about how can you, how can I, how can we stop for that one person? That's what it's about. And I think that that's gotten a little harder in this time. It's gotten a little scary because um, it can be weird sometimes to approach people, right? I mean, like right now, a lot of the world is kind of saying, stop, don't come any closer. We have signs everywhere that saying, don't come more than six feet closer. And so we, we want to respect and honor people, but we also want to be people of great compassion who still engage people and don't just um, move along hoping that people will hear about Christ because it's our responsibility. It's our responsibility as born-again people to share the gospel. In this world, we're like Jesus. And so we do what Jesus did, and we share his love with people that we can. And one of the, one of the things I think that's a hallmark of being a disciple is that we share Jesus generously and always with everyone we come in, everyone, uh, we come in contact with. So how do we talk to the people who cold call us on the phone um, just for such and such you know, lawn care company? How do we talk to people at the drive-thru? How do we talk to people at work? How do we talk to people when they tick us off? How do we talk to people we don't like or people we don't know? Does that person in that one encounter, are we showing them Jesus? That's what stopping for the one is about. It's about 
the moments of our life. It's not just that one person. It's those one moments in our lives that accumulate to make our life. It's becoming, it's becoming missionally minded, not just going to do mission, but living on mission. That's what we want to talk about here today. And so we live in a culture of germaphobes, right? Like, I was born Jewish. Um, we're very kosher and very clean, and Jewish people in general, like, you don't generally shake people's hand with your left hand because that's your, your uh, taking care of business hand. Seriously, like it really is. Like Jews are very about clean, very about kosher. Like uh, if, if, you go, if you go to a Muslim com, uh, country, don't ever try to give someone a high five left hand, bump knuckles left hand, or shake left handed. They just don't because that's the taking care of business hand. All right? And so I grew up in a family that was very much, especially uh, like my mom's parents, it was just about tidy, clean, sanitized, kosher, was it clean, this and that, was the preparation clean? And our culture has really gone that way more and more, and I think more than ever, we see everywhere we go, hand sanitizer, masks, and like we want to be clean, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Interesting thing is the average germaphobic standards in our country now cost people an average of $891 a year. That's what a family spends a year to stay clean. While the cost of one Prozac is only 12 cents. <laughs> um, and while I think being clean is really good, like I thought it was in the Bible growing up that next, uh, cleanliness is next, next to godliness. That's not in the Bible. Um, it's good. I mean, I think heaven won't be f- full of litter or full of germs, but I, I think uh, you get the point. But I think that our germophobia can actually be an impediment to how we reach people in the kingdom. I think being afraid of sickness, being afraid of uh, mental illness, being afraid of people whose lives are really messy, being afraid of people with a lot of um, brokenness, those are things that can really be an impediment to sharing the good news with other people. And I think it's important as born again people that we realize that there's this, like, you've heard me say this before, Jesus answers like these opposite poles thinking, uh, polarity. Jesus answers uh, polarity always with paradox. Jesus was so fine to be in the middle. Jesus was so okay to be in the middle on stuff. Like, There's somewhere between extreme fear and extreme foolishness that faith lives. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K, so there's times it's gonna seem like foolishness. There's times it's gonna be overcoming massive amounts of fear, or there's gonna be times where faith just tells you to just trust God and do the same thing you did yesterday because he doesn't change. So this between like uh, fear and foolishness is faith. Paradox is faith. Faith isn't always knowable. Would you go pray for a sick person when you could get sick? Well, because there's no sick people in heaven. And we do what Jesus did. And we start to count this life a lot less than we used to because we're not living for like this crude material that we can you know, tangibly uh, you know, quantify. We're not living for it anymore. So we can take risks. Because if we lose our life, Paul says, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Jesus Christ was the man for others, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. 
He was the man for others. Jesus' whole life, if you uh, survey the Gospels, was about one guy giving up everything so people that were ignorant of him could get everything. That was the great exchange. Jesus gave up everything so we could get everything. And that's what the gospel's about. That's what God calls us to. He calls us to be people for others. Like I said, we have many means and modes of sharing our faith. We have tracks, apologetics, small groups, water cooler talks, whatever. But, and there's help, fire, and brimstone sermons and whatever. But I think what Jesus is calling us to, where he wants us to be spiritually obvious versus spiritually obnoxious. So how do we learn how to live our lives and live our faith in a way that is, um, that is palatable for some people? Now, now, listen, when we love Jesus, when we love Jesus with all we have, it's going to be, he says, Paul says, you're either the aroma of life or the stench of death. So if you're never drawing anyone to Christ or you're maybe never making anyone say, forget about it, I would, I, I would do, I would look on the dash and see if that light's on. Like, am I being effective, Lord? Am I running on fumes? Is my effectiveness, is it failing? Or was, have I ever had it? Because I'm not saying that um, we shouldn't have like an attractive quality to people. But if you just middle so much and no one ever knows that like we're born again, that we love Jesus, if they don't know that there's anything different about us, I think that's problematic. Now, we don't have to lean in with, I'm a Christian, or I'm a this or that. And we shouldn't be known by what we don't do, right? But rather what we do, do. I know someone's gonna say, pastor said do, do. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I wanna look in Mark chapter one, verse 34, 35 through 44, and, and and I want, to, I want you to see the way Jesus stopped for the one. And today we're talking, the first, um, we're talking about the seven eyes of evangelism in this series, or the seven eyes of outreach, about how Jesus, and, and this is what I would call people of low-hanging fruit, or situations where there's low-hanging fruit. And what I mean is, is that generally if you take risks with people in these areas, you're going to see God probably give like a higher return on your time and on your investment than if you just are maybe a little less strategic. And the seven eyes are the isolated, the ill, the injured, the ignored, the indigent, the incarcerated, and the international. So it's basically, and I think I said this last week, the kingdom is for everybody but people most ready to receive it generally have the most uh, difficulties going on. That's why a lot of us, a lot of us never turn to Christ until the pressure dialed up in our life through either a death or a divorce or destruction or disaster or, you know, or just fallout from whatever it was is when we finally realize that, God, I need something else. Even if you were born into like a really... Uh, Christ-loving family, I'm guessing that, that, that everyone has a story if you walk with Jesus of when your faith became your own, right? There's that time, and it's generally when it was like it, the stuff was hitting the fan. Let's read about a guy whose life had hit the fan for a long time. Mark chapter uh, 1, verse 35 to 44. We got that? 
In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place, and was praying there. Notice a lot of times before Jesus does stuff, don't gloss over this. Jesus went away. The source of Jesus' power of how to do it and who to do it, who, who, to, uh, who to share with, I believe Jesus was getting orders from headquarters first in prayer. Don't underestimate the necessity of prayer. Don't underestimate the gift of prayer in reaching people. The fundamental evangelistic tool, friends, is prayer. I saw way more people come to Christ when I put the track down or put the water bottle down and I just started getting on my face and I'm like, Jesus, with whom would you have me share? Who would you have me go to today? Who would you show me? And that's when he kind of showed me the strategy of these seven eyes. Because really, the best soil is full of poop, isn't it? Any farmers in here? The best soil is full of crap. It's full of fertilizer. Fertilizers made from, yes. And so people's lives that have the most junk in them and the most crap in them are honestly people who are generally most ready to receive the kingdom. And I believe God was showing Jesus this stuff because he says, and Simon and his companions searched for him and they found him and they said, everyone's looking for you. Go to the next slide. And early in the, uh, there we go. He said to them, Let's, let us go somewhere to the towns nearby so that I may preach there. Also, that is what I came for. And he went in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. And then, and then he said, well, then it says, a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him, falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, <clears throat> you can make me clean. And we're going to get into a series at the start of next year where we're going to go through the book of Mark. And the book of Mark is, um, we'll probably touch back on this again. We'll gloss over it a little bit then because we're covering it now. But the book of Mark is like you see there's an immediacy to the things Jesus did, that Jesus seemed to operate in this rhythm that he was so in tune with the spirit that just it was like bam, bam, boom. And, and there's this thing about stopping for the one, about becoming a disciple, about hearing God. They're all rooted in hearing God's voice, about understanding what the spirit is saying to the seven churches or understanding what Jesus is saying to you in your life. Understand the people Jesus is setting you up for to reach. Here's a guaranteed prayer request. You pray every day this week and say, God, give me someone to share your love with today. He might not answer your financial prayers this week. He might not answer your healing questions or your marriage questions. But if you say, give me an opportunity to share your love lavishly with someone today, to be spiritually obvious with, it's like you will see, like, it's raining men, hallelujah, right? Like, there'll just be people, like, almost falling out of the sky who God's like, he will answer that because he's desperate for everyone to know him. He's desperate for it. And the leper said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I want to show a video clip. I was going to show this towards the end, but I feel like it fits better now. Can you guys show this video clip from, um, should be in the slides? Just um, anyone ever watch that 
watch that series about Jesus that's uh, been online on TV the last couple years, The Chosen. Anyone watch that? I, I love that show, love it. Um, like I know there's some people like, well, oh, the dialogue in there is not from the Bible. I get it. But they're following like the Bible in as linear of a fashion as they can. And I believe that they're doing great storytelling and sharing really the heart and methods of Jesus. So if you'll watch this with me, this is where that comes from. And this is Jesus's encounter with a leper.
people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what our God's like. That's, that's who he is. That's how he is. That's what, what he's like. And, um, I mean, leprosy is a bad disease. Um, there's currently 16 million people still in the world with uh, leprosy, according to WHO, the World Health Organization, and begins with small red spots on the skin. Before too long, it gets bigger, starts to turn white, shiny, scaly. Pretty soon, spots appear over your whole body. Your hair begins to fall out. Um, stuff with cartilage falls off first. So a lot of times, lepers are... We have a picture of a leper. Yeah, just missing noses, missing fingers, just uh, anything with joints start to fall off. Your arms can fall off, your toes. It's, it's a horrific disease. And back then, according to kosher law, you had to stay at least six feet away from a leper. And the leper had to run around saying, unclean, unclean, unclean. And I get it, that's for everyone's health. But can you imagine that? Can you imagine if you had to yell out sexually abused or sexual abuser or porn addict or sex behind the bleachers when I was 15 or tax evader, child abuser, scream at my wife, control my husband, liar. Can you imagine if every time you walked around people, that's how you had to introduce yourself? For your worst thing, the thing you're most ashamed of, the thing maybe you can't get rid of, you have to walk around and announce that to the world. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Cokehead, heroin addict. They just walk in a room. Like, what if we all walked in here? It's like, hey, overeater, swindler. That's what this guy had to do. And you even saw Jesus' disciples are like ready to like kill the guy. And Jesus had the audacity to stop for the one. And this guy was a total outcast. Total outcast. But um, as this picture that's hanging in our house says, um, by our friends at Sparrow, uh, Sparrow Missions in Honduras. We have that picture that yet not one is forgotten by God. Our friends uh, ministered down in Honduras and they work with uh, a lot of the least of these. They work with the, uh, the, like the people who basically live in the Bordos. The Bordos are like these border towns that are basically garbage dumps kind of carved out where you go and there's no schools there, there's no medical care there. The only jobs there are basically drugs and prostitution or very stinky jobs. Like maybe you'll get a day job, you'll run a town and hope you're one of the people. But if you live in the, the Bordos, you're a persona non grata and I love Sparrow's mission is not one is forgotten by God. That's my wife's jewelry thing that we have hanging in our room is not one is forgotten by God. Not necklaces, but people. Um, and, and so I would ask you that um, who in your world is too repulsive for you to touch? Who's the person or people group that you're reluctant to share with? Your money, your time, your talent, your treasure, your tears, your touch. 
Like Jesus could have just looked at this dude and zapped him from like 100 feet away, kept the unclean status going, like, hey, you be healed. But Jesus, I think what Jesus knew this guy needed as much as being healed was I think the dude needed a hug. Like seriously, like this guy, like lepers, you don't touch them. Lepers don't go around high-fiving each other. I mean, first of all, it's an occupational hazard, right, as we talked about. I mean, you know, too much impact, you can literally lose something. But then, like, they weren't hugging each other. They weren't, you know, kissing each other. They weren't consoling each other. It was a life of complete isolation. But Jesus, I believe in that time alone with God, the Lord, I bet, foretold him, and he said, I want you to take the risk, Jesus, and I want you to hug the dude. I want you to embrace him. And that's, that's the move. That's the move. That's, that's what we do. And I think it's really imperative that um, we, we live as people that aren't afraid to get what the world has. Because we're not of this world. And you might. You might lose a limb. You might lose a life. You might lose a relationship. But Jesus says that not many who have, who have given up house or life or whatever will fail to receive a hundred times more in the age to come. And that's what's stopping for the one that we're changing our orientation and we're starting to live differently. <clears throat> we're starting to live in a way that shows that he came. We're stopping to hear God and then we're stopping for those he's sending us to. I love the word there. It says Jesus was moved with compassion. There was like this depth in that word that Jesus was moved with compassion like in his bowels. Like you ever just felt something just so, it just touched you in such a way like it got like your innards where you just felt stirred up like your heart just sank in your chest or your stomach turned or you just felt like sick over the brokenness of someone else or in a situation. That's what it said, Jesus felt compassion. And the word here is splang the zobahi, and it's not just like a, oh, I feel bad. It's like Jesus was moved to change. He was moved to do something different, to be different. And that's, that's what we're talking about here. This is not a class or a quota. This is a way of life. Uh, several years ago, or just a couple years ago, uh, like we were out, out just praying in Turkey. And it was really interesting. Um, in Turkey, it's a Muslim country. <clears throat> 6,000 Christians in a country of 81 million. Not a lot of Christians. We were there for 12 days, and we saw 30 people come to Christ. Now, that might not sound like a lot, but out of 6,000, 30 is a big add to 6,000 versus 6,000 to a million, 81 million, right? And we saw tons of people come and we talked to like, like these other missionaries that had been there for, for years and um, they hadn't had anyone come to Christ. And it was actually interesting before we went to meet these people, I felt like I just stopped and I prayed. I'm like, Lord, what would you have me share with these people? I didn't know their story. They just like needed some encouragement. And I felt like the Lord said, they've been here and they've never had a convert. I'm like, okay, well, what do you want me to do? He's like, well, I just want you to, watch, to look and then watch what I do, okay? So this guy comes up, big old guy. He's there, lives in American football 
coach, big guy, played offensive lineman at some D1 school. I can't uh, like recall the school, but you know, big dude. And uh, he walks up like on a cane with this walking boot on. I'm like, oh, game on. And so he walks up and he's one of the missionaries. And I just said, man, I said, bro, what do you do? Like we introduced each other. And I said, I said, what do you do? He said, he said, well, I broke my foot playing basketball at a missionary training like in Czechoslovakia last week or the week before, I can't remember. And I said, oh. And I said, okay. And I said, um, can I pray for you? I said, I said, like, I said, can I pray for you that the Lord would heal you? I said, because I think he wants to heal you right now. <clears throat> He's like, okay, sure. And so the guy's ankles, black and blue, swollen, kind of dis, you know, kind of just messed up looking. And I just prayed for him, and it was like the color started changing on the guy's ankle. The swelling starts going down in his foot. And then as I'm praying, I feel like the Lord say, he wants this, but he doubts, and that's the reason he hasn't seen anyone come to me yet, and he knows that this is what he wants, but he kind of doesn't believe it, but kind of does. I took the risk, and I said, hey, while the Lord's healing you, I feel like you've been here for X amount of years, and I feel like you're afraid to pray for healing for people, and you're disappointed that you haven't had anyone come to Christ in all your time here. And the guy just gets teary-eyed. He said, that's exactly right. How did you know that? I said, I don't know that, but the same guy who's healing your foot's telling me that. And he's like, and then so like, I just tell him, and I said like, hey, listen, I said like, the Lord actually wants to heal you today, and he wants you to go do this for other people. It's not about sales pitch. It's not about sports program. I was like, the most bang for your buck is go to the seven eyes, walked him through it, and I said, and watch what he does. And this big old dude gets up and starts running around hooting and hollering hooting and hollering, and he just got healed. And it was cool because, like, this guy was desperate to share people with Jesus but didn't know how. And, but the thing he was doubting is that God could heal was the very thing God did for him. And so I haven't, I haven't heard back, but I really pray that the guy's, guy's ministry is a lot more fruitful now than it was. Because Jesus stops for the one. Like, this guy wanted other people to know. Oh, that was one other thing. I said, I feel like you want God to heal everyone else, but you're not asking for yourself. He's like, yeah, I'm not. I was like, well, Lord's is gonna, and then, and then I said to him, the Lord's gonna heal you right now. And I don't always tell people that, but I just got a sense, like, it was, it was on. And the Lord wanted to do that. Because, <clears throat> you know, just seeing the Lord do so many things, and it was just, like, the day before, like, I knew the Lord, Lord was moving. We walked up to this old guy, he was sitting on this, um, like, it was like a four-story kind of uh, deck, and he was on the patio underneath like in this apartment building. And the guy looked pretty old. He looked like, you know, he's probably 80s or even 90s maybe. And, um, but he looked at us, and his eye was completely mangled. And it was like red and puffy and crusty and kind of almost turned out looking and just looked really bad and everything around it. And we were trying to share the gospel with him and try to talk to him and like Google Translate, but the guy couldn't even read. So we're just like, uh, we just basically said in Turkish, uh, Jesus loves you, can we pray? Or, I'm sorry, can we pray in the name of Jesus, he loves you? And before they even said the prayer, I just reached over, touched the guy's eye, and I feel this guy start shaking. And he puts his hand on mine and just looks at me, 
and looks at my hand and just says, crying. And his eye was completely transformed. I mean, it was like, I mean, it was like the Wolverine. You know, it's like, like, it's, like, it was crazy. And the Lord just healed this dude. And this guy was just undone. And I, this guy, there's a, there's a high probability he'd never heard someone tell him Jesus loves him in a country of 81 million with only 6,000 Christians. And the Lord healed this guy. And he touched this guy. And like I said, we saw 30 people come to Jesus. And I think it's just because like the meat's in the street, as John Wimber said. And if we're willing to go where other people won't, and we're willing to do what other people won't do, and we're willing to get what other people have, that's where God moves. That's where God moves. And, and I've seen Jesus move in so many ways. I have a friend who was gonna plant a church in, uh, 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 before Over the Rhine was really like cool, it was still like a dumpster for a while. And my friend, who's like the whitest dude ever, was gonna plant a church, like an OTR. And I'm like, bro, it's like, if you're gonna go down the hood, man, we gotta like help you out. And he's like, I, cause like, you know, he just like, he did, he was really nervous. He felt like God was calling him to plant and, but he didn't know how to do cross-cultural ministry. I'm like, well, the Holy Spirit's the great like equalizer of cross-cultural ministry. Now, it's good to get uh, familiarized with the culture and customs, but if we walk in the Spirit, the Spirit already knows that culture. He knows those people. And so I said, so, hey, let's just meet up someday, and we're going to go downtown, and we're going to just go pray and watch what Jesus does. And when we get down, meet, he's like, well, who do you pray for? And I told him, just kind of the low-hanging fruit people. And so we, we just went, and we're walking around, and I just get like a beeline, and I start walking this dude who's sitting in a little door, you know, like in a door... Uh, of a building that was abandoned like on the stoop and he was just sitting there. I was like, hey man, we're just out, out here praying for people today. Is there anything, anything we can pray for you for? He's like, nah, man, man, I'm good. And I was like, no, seriously, is there anything, we, absolutely anything, what can we pray for you for? And he's like, he got this big smirk. He's like, man, I want to get drunk. He's like, I want to get drunk. He's like, I haven't had a beer in a couple days and I want one. And my friend kind of looked at me like, okay, can we get out of here? And I look at him and I'm thinking, game on. And I'm like, you want to get drunk? He's like, oh yeah. He's like, I want to get blank faced. And I'm like, well, I'm going to pray that Jesus makes you more blank faced loaded than you've ever been right now. Can I pray that? He's like, Okay. I never heard someone ask to pray for me like that. So, which is what he said. And I'm like, and we start praying. Oh, and before I prayed, I said, hey, is there anything in your body that hurts? So this is kind of the vineyard. Can we bring up the five-step prayer model? Like in the vineyard, there's a prayer training. Autumn has done some of these here and she's gonna do another one, I believe next month. And we'll tell you more about that. But the vineyard has a model that they come, um, uh, John Wimber, one of the founders of the vineyard movement is... um, the five-step prayer model is not a scientific formula, a foolproof methodology, or a magical incantation. Rather, it's an intentional way of praying for others, a posture of listening to the Holy Spirit that provides a track to run on and see God move in power as we pray. Can we bring the next slide up? The interview. First, is you just say, hey, <clears throat> is there anything we can pray for you for? And so I asked him, he wanted to get drunk, but I said, is there any in your body that needs healing? Are you sick at all or have any injuries? So when you're asking someone to pray, just say, is there anything I can pray for you for? I mean, you can, walk, you can watch someone, you know, moving along or have a broken arm, 
but you still want to ask them and give them dignity. Can I pray for you today? Is there anything like that you need prayer for? Or like I noticed that your arm, what happened to it? So in this interview, you're kind of can make some observation questions, but you ask. And I said, is there anything we can pray for you for? And this guy said he wants to get drunk, and he said nothing on his body hurt. I'm like, okay. Next question, number two, is the diagnosis. Is basically when you're praying f- for someone is um, find out what's going on. And this, a lot of time, requires listening. So we start praying for this guy to get, to get drunk, and I just get a little tingle, or I'm sorry, I saw um, him clutched over, um, oh, I'm sorry, this was like several years ago, I, I felt a tingle in my teeth, and I said, do you have any tooth problems? He said, yeah, he said, I've got, and he kind of looked at me where he's like, yeah, I do, he's like, I've got this thing like right now and it kills. I've got this, this tooth and he was a homeless guy so he didn't have dental insurance. He's like, I've got this tooth that's killing me. I was like, okay, can I pray for you? And I just stopped right there and just prayed for him and I, and I asked him and I stepped back. I said, how does it feel? He's like, it feels better. And I said, all the way? He said, no, not all the way. And I prayed again and I said, okay, if it was a 10, like, what's it now? And then after like the second or third time, he's like, the pain's gone. I'm like, okay. And so I kept praying. I said, okay, can I pray again for you? And I prayed and I kept praying and I got this picture of um, him. I said, I got this weird picture of you and you're doubled over, holding, holding your heart. But I said, it's weird, like you were holding two hearts. And I said, um, and you were kind of like in a hospital bed, kind of doubled over. Does this mean anything to you? And he looks at me and his lip starts quivering. He goes, who the, are you? I'm Batman. I, I, I wanted to say that to him, but I didn't. Um, <clears throat> but he's, he's, and he said, who are you? I said, dude, I said, I just love Jesus and we just want to show you his love today. He said, I just was in the hospital three weeks ago um, and with a heart problem. He said, and, and I, before he said it, and I got this sense, I said, and because your kids, I said, your four kids didn't come visit you, did they? And he starts weeping. He said, no, I was in the hospital for a week and a half. He said, and I was in the hospital because I got this infection in my teeth and it went down and I got an infection in my heart and no one came and saw me. So it's like the Lord just started with that thing, but just it's taking that risk of just saying, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? And this might sound weird to you. You might think like this guy is cuckoo. He's not Batman, but he's bats and I'm never coming back. (laughs) But I'm gonna tell you, the God we just read about, Jesus doesn't change and he did this stuff. So why would he stop? If he doesn't change, why would he stop? You might, someone theologically might have explained to you, well, that was for then, this is for now. Well, you can do what you want with it. Either I'm a complete fraud or I'm telling the truth. And if I'm telling like the truth, then he didn't stop because I can't, I don't know what people's teeth have going on. I don't know how to heal people. I don't have any medical background. I'm not very good at doing two things at once. There's a lot of things, ask my wife, that I'm just not very good at. But I'm learning how to listen and just stop for people. Because Jesus loves them. And when we go, 
he shows. And he loved this guy, and this guy, I just said to him, and he's like crying, and I said, and I said, bro, I said, I said, you wanna, I said, Jesus loves you so much. He just healed you, he's touching you. I said, do you wanna come to him today? He's like, yes. And I started praying for him, and then I said, Holy Spirit, will you come and just flood my brother's heart? And I said, do you feel anything happening? And he looks at me, starts laughing, he's like, he said, man. He said, dude, you got me. I was like, yes, I did. He's, I was like, do you feel something? He's like, I feel drunk. He's like, I just feel like I'm losing all control of my faculties, but in a way I've never had it. And it was like the, the God of the universe loved this dude, wanted to meet him, and had him set up. We showed up on that day, and then as we're walking away, my friend said, so is that how it's done? I'm like, I guess it is. And so, and so like Jesus just loved this guy. And, and, and like, listen, if you go start praying for, for people regularly, that will not be an aberration. When we go, he shows. Now, you might have to pray for, I, I prayed for hundreds of people before one person ever got healed. And I think because there's, a, there's enough weirdos out there that are just doing it, the name it, claim it stuff and pushing stuff on people. That's not what Jesus is like. Like I said, I don't all the time tell people like you're gonna be healed. I will ask a question like, hey, did your teeth hurt? Yeah. How do you know? I just got a sense in my teeth that maybe your teeth hurt. You don't have to be like, oh, God said your teeth hurt. <laughs> Thine sinner, be it thou healed. You know, it's, it's not like that, but it's just learning to lean in and be a little bit more like Jesus. When do you spit on the person's eyes? When do you kiss the ears? When do you, when do you embrace the leper? That's what stopping for the one is. When do you hang out longer for a conversation? When do you encourage someone? When do you say something nice? When do you ask forgiveness for being a jerk or for being negligent? It's all that stuff. It's just, this is about being tuned into the Holy Spirit. So the next, so the third part of this is Three, prayer selection and prayer engagement. It's like, how do I pray? You can go to the next one. And so, and put five on there too. And so it's just, it, it, this is just asking people. It's just asking people. Sorry, I didn't run through all that. And then from there, I got the sense that the guy needed to come to Jesus and the opportunity was there and he gave his life that day. That's what's stopping for the one. That's what touching lepers that's what this stuff's about. And it's not, it, we, we don't have to be amazing. You don't have to have like an MDiv. You don't have to go through VLI. You don't have to be on our prayer team. You don't have to do any of this stuff. All you gotta say is, Jesus, I wanna join you in what you're doing. Jesus says, I only do what I see my father doing. You start praying that every day and say, Jesus, I wanna join you in what you're doing. Watch what he does. Maybe it's going to serve someone. I wanna give a just shout out to a lot of people who went and served uh, one of our families here, uh, uh, like a family, she's a widow. Tragedy in their life, but a lot of people came and it's like people stopped for that one yesterday. People stopped for Amy and her kids. People stopped. And so it's not always supernatural stuff, but today we're talking about the ill and the injured. And it's just about noticing. It's about slowing down enough to notice the world around you, notice the pain, notice the brokenness, and being available to Jesus. That's all this is. And listen, we won't, 
you will never have a lack of supply of sick people around you or hurt people around you. I challenge you, go look for someone this week, pray before you walk out of here, say, Jesus, will you give me the courage and will you give me someone to pray for this week that's hurt or ill? Watch what he does. Watch what he does. Maybe you're not healed and you're like, well, I'm really mad that I never got healed. Well, maybe your path to healing is maybe giving away what he's got first and then maybe God will add it to you. But it's not about what we have or don't have. It's about what he has for people he wants to engage. And not everyone gets healed. It's not everyone gets healed. I'm not saying this is formulaic. It's an incantation. Not saying that. But what I'm saying is, is Jesus will use you if you're available. Jesus will use you And a little thing you've heard me say before, if you want to see God move in ways others don't, you've got to seek him in ways others won't. Go for it in prayer. Go for it on the street. Go for it like in your relationships. It's about becoming more sensitive to the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do to you and through you. That's what this is about. So Lord, we just ask you to come today. We ask you to move, Lord. We ask you to put people on our hearts Um, Give us open doors this week. Give us people that don't know you. Give us people that are lost, that are broken, whose lives are a mess. Give us the ones no one else wants, Lord. Give Give us the striped, the spotted, and the speckled. Give us the sheep no one else wants to build your kingdom with. You're the shepherd of all of them, Lord, but you'll take every one of them. You'll take the, like the tripod sheep, you'll take the spotted, the blotted, the maimed, the deformed, the broken, the lost. You'll take them all because you're the shepherd. You're a good shepherd you're a good father and you long to give good gifts to your children so as Luke says that will not the father who gives good gifts to his children also give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him just put your hands out if you want I'm just going to pray I'm not trying to spook you out you don't have to do this but I'm just going to ask you to say come Holy Spirit just say it aloud or say it by yourself just say come Holy Spirit ask God, say, God, give me what's lacking in my life. And the Holy Spirit's not just to heal sick and injured people. Maybe you're just lacking somewhere today in your faith, in your relationships, in your marriage, or your friendships, or maybe the loss of a marriage, or maybe wanting to be married. Maybe that's for someone. I don't know if you're mad, if there's someone here who's upset with God. You've either been single or you've been single for a while and you're like, this Lord, just bring me someone. Just say, come Holy Spirit. He wants to fill every crack and crevice of our brokenness. And if you don't know Jesus, um, come today. If you need healing, prayer teams, come on up. We have the baptistry. We didn't have anyone sign up. We have the baptistry. But if you would want to give your life to Jesus, um, I will strip down to my underwear I'm just kidding. I've got shorts, um, but I will go shirtless. I'm just kidding. Um, but we will love to baptize you today. I'm not trying to scare you away. I'll put on clothes, I promise. So if you want to know Jesus today, the baptistry is open. If you want prayer for healing, physical healing, please come up. We want to pray for you today. If you have emotional stuff, come up today. Lord, help us go and sin less this week and to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen.